name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ has called Levi, has called Matthew to go and to follow him. And today I wanted, if we could, to meditate on calling. And I, I guess the best way to do this, I mean, we could talk about characteristics of callings, and we will, but probably the best way to do this is to look at different examples of callings, both within uh, the Holy Scripture and within tradition. And looking at different aspects, I suppose, sorry, different examples from there we can see different aspects of the calling. But first, I suppose since we're in the fast and we see <clears throat> the church is focusing on our Holy Mother, the Saints Virgin Mary, we look to her as the ultimate calling because essentially in Virgin Mary, all mankind is called to salvation. And this one person through her obedience and through her commitment, she has borne God, and through her, we have received salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. As St. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that it was according to the fullness of time, essentially meaning, meaning that God is waiting for one with her qualities, one with her commitment, one with her love. And being born and being consecrated and offered to the temple, waiting upon the Lord day and night, living a life of purity and chastity, holiness within a temple, um, a life of working uh, with her hands. Some, some scholars say that uh, she did spinning or made garments, other things with tapestries. Um, but eventually she was, as we see in the scripture, approached by Archangel Gabriel, and it was announced to her that she would give birth to Christ, and we didn't see one who was proud, we didn't see one who fought against the calling, rather we saw one that rather just asked, how can this be, I do not know a man. This angel approaching in great humility and reveals this mystery to her that she would give birth to God. So looking at scripture, I suppose um, we can find seven different uh, examples, seven different qualities, and we can go over them very quickly, just looking at the persons who exemplify that quality. But I suppose the first quality regarding callings is it's often unexpected, and it's often the person we really didn't have in mind to be the person God would call. So the first that came into my mind, I don't know who you have in yours, is St. Paul. Now remember, St. Paul, who before his conversion, before his ordination, he was, he was Saul, uh, was a, a very, I, I guess you could say, a, a hysterical Pharisee um, who was going forth, very zealous, uh, murdering the Christians and on his way to Damascus to kill more Christians, a great light appeared to him, and our Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Why are you kicking against the goats? Why are you persecuting me? So St. Paul is blinded, or Saul, rather, is blinded, and he needs to receive sight. So God calls Ananias 
to essentially heal Paul. And so when Ananias hears the call of the Lord, he responds to God saying, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias is saying, Lord, like that's a bad choice. He's not the right guy. He's a really bad person. He has authority to kill. Why would you call him? Why would I heal him? Why would I give him sight? It's just going to make things much worse. So the Lord speaks to Ananias and says, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Essentially, God is explaining to Ananias, I have greater plans for St. Paul, and whether that involves his conversion, whether that involves him spending his time in Arabia, as he wrote in the book of Galatians, that he spent a certain time in repentance and in prayer, whether that also entails the stoning that he, that he endured, or whether the shipwreck, the arrest, anything else that occurred to him, in that moment of calling, God knew something that Ananias did not. God had the entire sequence of events before him and knew the great things that Paul would do. And if you look at St. Paul's impact on scripture, you don't need to look for, uh, further than there's 27 books in the New Testament. St. Paul wrote 14 of those books. St. Paul's contributions to Christianity are absolutely incredible. Without his writings, we would not have the understanding. Even being one of the, the likely the earliest writing regarding the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. St. Paul is an incredible saint and was an incredible model of service. Even being called him along with Barnabas by the Holy Spirit to be priests when the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me. Paul and Barnabas. So we see God saw something that mankind did not. And I suppose on the same note, we have another event. This one much, much, much earlier. It occurs in 1 Samuel. Um, Israel and the king. So up until, so I, I guess to, to pause for a sec, um, or to give, to give some um, context. So remember, Israel was in Egypt. Uh, God sent Moses to, to Egypt to get Israel out, and uh, Israel was led by Moses and eventually led by uh, Joshua. Uh, but then God's appointed, God appointed these people called judges to rule over Israel. And they had judges, and they were, they were great, and the last of the judges was a prophet named Samuel. So Samuel has two sons, and the sons are great, and the children of Israel start looking around at the other nations and start seeing they have kings. I, I want a king. I don't want a judge. Why, why, why can't we be like them? So they, so they start telling Samuel, you know, hey, you're old and your sons are not obedient. So I, we think that we should, you know, break it up. You stop being a judge and appoint for us a king. So Samuel feels really terrible about this. So he goes to God and prays. And God says to him, heed the voice of the people and whatever they might say to you, 
For they have not rejected you, but rather they have rejected me to bring to naught my reign over them. So essentially, God tells Samuel, don't take it personally. But they're saying it's not about you, it's not about your age, it's not about your kids, none of that. It's all about me. By saying they want kings like the world, they're essentially rejecting me. So they go forth and they pick for themselves a, um, a king. And the candidate they pick is one named Saul. And it says in uh, 1 Samuel 9:2 that he was tall and handsome son, uh, he was tall and handsome, and there was no one more handsome than him among the children of Israel because he was taller than anyone else in the land. So I, I guess like the same qualifications as the NBA. Just want someone really tall. So that, that was what they were seeking. Someone who was very tall and very handsome. Well, how was Saul's reign? It wasn't good. He rejected God, and likewise, God rejected him. Now, who did God call? God called David, who David himself, he wrote in Psalm 151, the, the hymn we chant in the Coptic church, um, and bright Saturday. But he, he writes and describes himself. He was the smallest uh, in his father's house. And when, when Samuel goes to Jesse's home, he has all these brothers, and Jesse's like, take any of them. God wants David. Why David? What's the quality of David that is attractive to God? Because David is a man who is after God's heart. So although the people wanted someone tall and handsome, and even Jesse, if you're, if you're going to take one of my sons, at least take one of the tall ones. I, I don't know why everyone wants a tall guy. but uh, Take one of the tall ones, but no. Because God often is calling the person who we aren't expecting because we're looking at just physical qualities, things that we see. God sees the heart. God sees things that are in secret. So that, that's the first point regarding calling. It's often unexpected. It's often not what we were looking at. Now, sometimes the calling of God is right before our face, but we're, we're sometimes fighting with that. And I, I guess a good example of that, there's one in Scripture he's part of the Sanhedrin. His name is Nicodemus. So you might be familiar with him. When you read John chapter 3, one of the members of the Sanhedrin met with our Lord Jesus Christ at night, and they began to discuss baptism. The Lord saw in him, look, unless you are born of water and spirit, you by no means can even see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is perplexed. He's like, what, what do you mean? I need to be born again. I need to go back into my mom. And Jesus is like, how are you one of the truth? One of the teachers of the children of Israel, you don't understand. And eventually, this is where we get the verse John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For this is the condemnation that the Son of Man came into the world, and the sons of men had rejected him. But the Son of Man did not come into the world to judge the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And he explains all these things to Nicodemus, and it's as if Nicodemus disappears from Scripture from that point on. We only catch him in John chapter 7 for a couple verses, just while, while the Jews are speaking, he, he asks them uh, to consider something regarding the law and the judgment of our Lord Jesus Christ. But essentially, he disappears. He's almost a secret disciple, if you would. And although the calling was before his face, it wasn't until the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that finally he accepted that calling to go after the Lord. And Nicodemus is incredible at a time when all the apostles are afraid and they lock themselves in the upper room except for John. Uh, Nicodemus goes with Joseph of Arimathea and they go and they, they ask for the body of the Lord and they bring spices and they, they have a tomb for him and all these things that the apostles were afraid to do. So oftentimes the Lord is calling us, but maybe it was his position. Maybe he was still, he was just afraid what the people would think. That's why he met with the Lord at night. But I guess it was that moment of the crucifixion. Nicodemus finally realized, you know what? I have been called. I'm going for it. So sometimes the call has been in our face the entire time. But it wasn't until, I guess it could be now, but... For Nicodemus, it wasn't until the crucifixion uh, that he finally decided to hear, heed the call. A third aspect is often those who call feel immensely inadequate. And that might be just the loftiness of God's calling and seeing ourselves compared to the rest of the service. We feel, what can I contribute? What can I add? And I guess a great example of that was Moses the prophet. Because he was one, when God called him to go and tell Pharaoh, Set my, let my people go, Moses is like, I, I can't do it. I'm not a great speaker. I'm not a great spokesman. Can you please get my brother Aaron? And God's really upset because he demonstrated to Moses that he had power by allowing his hands to become leprous and then allowing his hands to become whole again. God has a lot of authority. God has a lot of power. So for Moses to start doubting himself, well, God took that personally because it wasn't that Moses was doubting himself. You're doubting the one who's calling you. You're doubting God. So oftentimes, if I feel inadequate in my service, I mean, there, there's a good level of, of the humility approaching a service and saying, I'm nothing, and I need to pray, and I need to ask for help. That, that's good. That's excellent. But for Moses in front of God to say, okay, can you send someone else? That was insulting to God. Because wasn't God the one who gave the calling? And if God gives the calling, then would not God also give the grace for such calling? So oftentimes, those who are called, we feel there is great inadequacy in the service, and yet God will provide all that we need. Actually, along the same lines, if we look at uh, St. Moses the Black, he was one who was tested in the humility in his service. When he was recommended to be a priest, which being a priest in, in the monastery was a very big thing. You, would, you wouldn't have many priests in the desert. And I believe it was Pope Theophilus. I think it was the Pope from today's reading when he saw um, St. Moses. He wanted to test him. He said, who brought this black one to me? And Moses says, yeah, he's right. I'm a sinful guy. I've murdered. I've been a, I've been a, a, a leader of a band of thieves and criminals. I'm not worthy for this. And he went back to his cell. And when they recognized the humility of, of Abba Moses, he said, this man is truly the correct candidate to be the priest. This is a very holy man. This is an icon of repentance. So they called him back and they ordained him a priest. So sometimes we feel this inadequacy, but really we don't look to ourselves for adequacy. We look towards God for sufficiency, for gifts, for all of our needs. Now, I guess a, a fifth point is sometimes the calling is not what we wanted. The calling's not what we wanted. God, you can call me, but, you know, under certain terms. And I guess a guy who had terms for his service was the prophet Jonah. 
Don't forget, Jonah's a prophet. Jonah was a servant of God. Although we focus so much on him running away, trying to get a Tarshish, and trying to escape God, and eventually being asking to be thrown over into the water, to be eaten by the, the whale or sea monster, St. Cyril sea monster. Uh, but we often don't realize he was called by God. And God did, did give him great grace in his ministry. I mean, the guy went and spoke. Uh, in three, three days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Or another translation, 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And all the people repent. That's incredible. Just a couple words. He didn't even tell them to repent. He didn't tell them fast. They, they kind of just figured it out. They, I guess they got desperate. Maybe this is the work of the Holy Spirit. But... It wasn't under his terms. I guess back then, according to St. Cyril, people really believed that like, if, if you're God, you're God of a continent. So he thought he could escape God if he went into the water. I, mean, I guess the guy learned this is not the case. If you go in the water, God can command really interesting fish to come and devour you. But what we need to see with Jonah ultimately is sometimes God will call us and I feel great. Uh, I don't want to say inadequacy, this is the previous point, but I'll feel like this is not what I wanted. God, I wanted to serve, but that's not what I expected. But it, it's sometimes in the service that we didn't want that we find the most growth. If I often just do the things within my comfort zone or things I want, I mean, the comfort zone thing, that's, that's fine, but the issue is, I'm judging my service and the need of the service by what I want and my desire. But service isn't like a personal choice in so far. I, I look at myself and I see, uh, well, yes, you look at yourself and you think, what can I offer to God? But I don't look to myself and from there decide what's the service going to look like. I offer myself before God, my entire person. I say, God, you know me. You know my heart. You know my qualities. You know what I need. Place me in a service. I, I guess it's an interesting thing we saw in, in today's gospel. So Matthew was called. Matthew's a tax collector. Uh, there was a treasury. The, the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles had a treasury. So obviously Matthew would, would be the one running the treasury. He's a tax collector. He's good with money. Matthew was not the one who was in charge of the treasury. That was actually Judas who would steal from the treasury. So Judas was no good at it. Matthew is the one who's probably the most talented at it. But for whatever reason, God did it. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not call Matthew for the treasury. Maybe he called him to be the evangelist. Maybe he called him for the rest of his ministry. Now, along the same lines, we see uh, we want a certain service, and it's not the service that we wanted, or it's not the calling we wanted. So two examples of this from the church tradition are St. Anthony and Origen the Scholar. Both of these men, at some point in their lives, wanted to be martyrs. They wanted to be martyred, but God did not allow it. Origen's father, I believe his name is Leonidas, he was going to be martyred. And Origen says, I am going to go meet my father, and I will join him in martyrdom. So Origen goes to take a shower to prepare himself for the martyrdom or take a bath. And Origen's mom learns about this, and she thinks, I'm not going to lose my husband and my son on the same day. So she takes all of Origen's clothes, and she hides them. So, of course, Origen comes out of the bath, and there's no clothes. And he says, I can't go out 
without clothes to be martyred. That will be ridiculous. And he is not martyred, and rather he becomes a great scholar in the city of Alexandria, a father among the fathers. St. Antony, uh, at some point during the persecutions, told the monks, let's go to Alexandria that we may, that, that essentially we, we may receive the crown of martyrdom. And when he entered the, the halls of the judges, they saw him and said, no one touch that man. No one touch him. And even the emperor walked right past St. Antony. The governor walked right past him, wouldn't even look at him. This was a person who had a special calling from God. He was not to be a martyr. He was meant to be a father of monasticism. There were still many things. So though we may have something we, we want, a different calling, but God will have a certain calling for us. Commit to that calling because, as we said before, God understands the sequence of events. God understands the sanctification of not only those whom we serve or those, whatever the calling may entail, but also for us. Uh, calling may be according to need, and we see this in Isaiah chapter 6. The Lord says, who shall I send? Who shall I send? Isaiah says, send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. And the angel goes to the, to the altar and takes a, a burning charcoal and puts it on the tongue of Isaiah, and he is sanctified. Sometimes the need is right there. You can even hear uh, the abuna. You can hear the servants. People might just be asking, we need help. We need a thing, whatever it is. The calling can be right there. And perhaps it's for us to be like Isaiah and say, send me a buna. Hey, I'll help out. If we need this thing, you got it. I'm your man. And then I guess our last point is calling involves sacrifice. And that's every calling that we mentioned today involved a lot of sacrifice, whether it be of the will or the ego, uh, of the calling of the people's lives. I mean, look at all the sacrifice Virgin Mary made to go from a virgin living in temple, now she is a mother. That is entirely a life of sacrifice, constantly um, feeding the baby, taking care of the baby, all these different aspects, very consuming. Uh, and yet, it is exactly what she wanted, a life dedicated uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ. And there she is, always contemplating, looking upon him, <clears throat> assessing his needs, taking care of him incredible thing she never thought would happen, but if we look in uh, the scripture, first, I believe this one's in 1 Kings, uh, <clears throat> following uh, Jezebel's threats against, uh, I believe it Jezebel's threats, uh, against Elijah, uh, he goes and he runs into one named Eli uh, Elisha, and when he sees Elisha, he goes and he takes his mantle and he throws it over Elisha and calls him to be his disciple and Elisha says well let me go say bye to my dad and Elisha was taking care of oxen slaughters all the oxen they have a meal and he leaves left his entire livelihood his entire family everything why because well somebody went and he put his mantle on him but Elisha recognized the greatness of the prophet, the greatness of the call, and recognized that this thing was unto God. And we know that even in the, uh, when Elijah um, ascended into heaven on the, on the fiery chariot, that when Elijah asked Elisha, do you have one wish? Can I have a double blessing? Well, if the Lord allows it, then so be it. And the mantle of Elijah falls once more 
upon Elisha, and he receives that double blessing. As Elijah had split a river right beforehand, uh, Elisha split a river following. So we can often see, yes, it involves sacrifice, but oftentimes there is a double blessing, or at the end of Matthew 19, when Peter tells the Lord, we left so many things for you, and the Lord said, really, there's no one who left wife, mother, brother, sister, whomever, for the kingdom of heaven's sake that wouldn't be re rewarded 30, 60, 100 fold. So whereas we're with Elijah, we saw a two times increase with Elisha. We see the Lord promising 30, 60, 100 fold. So I, I pray because, I mean, calling, this is vocation, this is life, this is constantly seeking. I pray that may we continue in our prayers asking God Lord, what is it you need? Lord, prepare me um, to, to heed your calling. Let us often find our, ourselves in a, in a quiet place because it's often in these quiet places we hear the voice of the Lord more clearly. When we are reading our scripture, we hear the silent voice of God speaking within us to heed that call. To our Lord Jesus Christ belongs our glory and honor with his good Father and the Holy Spirit. Glory be to God forever. Amen.